gets low, man. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Incompetent Critic, and it is a great day for basketball. I don't want to waste a lot of time because I want to make this review as short as possible, so let's get right into it. Today, we will be looking at the HBO sports drama series, Winning Time, The Rise of the Laker Dynasty. Created by Max Borgenstein and Jim Hecht, the series chronicles the rise, obviously, and the fall of the legendary NBA franchise, the Los Angeles Lakers. Loosely based on real historical events, the series displays the triumphs and struggles of several people involved with the Laker organization during the 1980s. Featuring non-fictional characters like Jerry Buss, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Pat Riley, this series is basically a weekly test of your knowledge on basketball history in the 80s. Fortunately for me, I was very familiar with the 80s Lakers before this series even began airing, and it was always cool to see how the real non-fictional moments tie into the fictional ones. Real quick, I just want to note that if you guys are interested in learning more about the Lakers and their legendary rivalry with the Celtics, I highly recommend the ESPN 3-part 30 for 30 Celtics vs. Lakers Best of Enemies, and the HBO documentary Magic vs. Bird A Courtship of Rivals. A lot of the information from these documentaries are used in this series, and they are both excellent watches. Go watch it! However, if you're not into documentaries, but you still want to watch some entertaining basketball drama, Winning Time just might be for you. This series was released on HBO Max, or Max, I guess, in mid-2022 to generally positive reviews. The main problem that a lot of viewers have with the series is the minor historical inaccuracies, but I will touch on those later. The show boasts an all-star cast featuring the likes of big-name actors like John C. Riley, Adrian Brody, Jason Segel, and Sally Field. Let me just put on my commentator hat for a second and say that every one of these actors is bringing their A-game in this show. In addition to the big-name stars, the show features a collection of several bright up-and-coming stars like Quincy Isaiah, Hadley Robinson, Sean Patrick Small, and Solomon Hughes. This may go without saying, but this show is casted extremely well. There are a few exceptions, but almost every actor embodies their real-life character extremely well. I really like this series, and I'm excited to talk about it, so let's get right into Season 1. Season 1 is pretty good. Unfortunately, not everyone is a basketball history nerd like I am, and the first couple of episodes has the task of establishing like 30 different characters and 15 different plot lines in a way that the average viewer will be able to comprehend. And for the most part, I think the show pulls it off pretty well. As I was watching the show, I took note of the show's effective use of quick montages and somewhat meta-storytelling habits, and it reminded me a lot of films like The Big Short and Vice, which are both amazing films if you haven't seen them. And then when I did my research on the show, I found that one of the producers of the show is Adam McKay, the director of both of those films. I love McKay's filmography, and you can definitely feel his influence in the show's style. Now, I could go through each episode and lay out the plot like I normally do for these reviews, but I'm not going to do that for this series because you can just look up what happened in real life. Instead, I'm going to give you a basic summary of everything that happens in the season, and then I'm going to talk about how well these real-life events are portrayed on screen. So here's everything that happens in Season 1. Millionaire Jerry Buss buys the LA Lakers. The Lakers draft Magic Johnson. Jerry West steps down as coach of the Lakers. The Lakers hire Jack McKinney to take his place. Jack suffers a serious injury and his assistant Paul Westhead takes his place. Paul hires Pat Riley to be his assistant coach. The Buss family goes through financial troubles. The Lakers make it to the finals. 
Jesse Buss dies, Kareem gets hurt, Magic saves the day, and the Lakers win the 1980 NBA Championship. Overall, I think it was a good narrative choice for the entire first season to focus on the 1980 NBA season which is the first season that the Lakers won a championship in many years. This show features a lot of scenes with just two characters talking in a room, and that is where it shines. The first season covers a relatively short amount of time compared to season two, and that allows us to focus more on the present struggles of each character instead of saying, hurry up, we gotta get to the next plot point. This series is driven by the characters, and that is what makes it great. Speaking of which, let's get to the great performances this season, and my goodness, there are plenty. The owner of the Lakers, Jerry Buss, is played by John C. Riley, and he does a remarkable job of making this absolute scumbag seem somewhat likable. There are dozens of scenes in this series where Buss is acting like a total jerk, but Riley is able to make the audience sympathize with him. This performance is amazing because this is what I imagine the real Jerry Buss was like, a charismatic butthole. Moving on from Buss, let's talk about the large cast of coaches in the first season. To start off with, we have Jason Clark playing Jerry West. Now, <laughs> let me just say, Clark is phenomenal in this role and a seriously underrated actor in Hollywood. However, calling his performance an accurate portrayal would be a flat-out lie. In the real world, Jerry West gives off the attitude of a soft-spoken yet confident individual who has a vast basketball knowledge. In the show, on the other hand, West is portrayed as a bumbling, vulgar psychopath with anger issues. Don't get me wrong, if Jerry West was not a real person, this character wouldn't be my favorite character in the entire series. Jason Clark brings so much life and energy into every scene that he's in, and I love every second of it. The real Jerry West, however, has flat out stated that he hates the portrayal and has described it as false and defamatory. And I can't argue with him because he's pretty much correct. The next two coaches on our roster are Jack McKinney and Paul Westhead, played by Tracy Letts and Jason Siegel, respectively. Both of these characters were introduced at the same time in the show and they have a pretty interesting dynamic. McKinney is a quiet and confident individual and Westhead is just quiet. Westhead is very meek and insecure because he's an underqualified coach who only got the job because McKinney selected him. This does present an interesting dynamic between the two when Westhead takes over as head coach after McKinney's injury. McKinney gets hurt, Westhead takes his job, and then uses his offense to win the 1980 NBA championship. This also serves as a great starting point for when Westhead develops an ego in the next season. Jason Siegel does a good job of flexing his dramatic chops in this show. Bravo, Jason. Bravo. The final coaching spot on our team is Adrian Brody as Pat Riley. I don't know whose idea it was to cast Brody as Riley, but they need a big raise. Brody perfectly embodies the tough Irishman brawler side of Riley, while also maintaining Riley's signature essence of swagger. I wasn't sure about the casting at first, but the scene that changed my mind is definitely the scene where Riley argues with Westhead in the hotel room. This is easily Riley's best scene in the entire first season, and both Adrian Brody and Jason Siegel did amazing. We also get to see a quick flash of future Pat Riley gelling up his hair. Chills. Literal chills. Moving on from the coaches this season, let's talk about some of the talented actors playing the iconic NBA stars of the 80s. Quincy Isaiah is perfect as Magic Johnson. He's able to capture Magic's relentless optimism while also showing that he can be a ruthless competitor when needed. Not to mention that the two are basically identical in appearance. Most of the storylines in the season center around Magic, and Isaiah does a pretty good job of holding them all down despite his lack of acting credits. This guy has some serious acting chops, and I hope he gets more opportunities in the future. Alright, now let's talk about the big man in the middle. Solomon Hughes does a pretty good job of playing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem in the real world is notorious for being the most anti-social superstar to ever play in the NBA, 
and Hughes manages to convey Kareem's solemn giant demeanor pretty well. I really enjoyed the full episode that was devoted to Kareem's backstory, and as the season goes along, we can see Kareem come out of his shell a little bit more because he's being exposed to magic. It was nice to see. The last player actor that I want to briefly talk about is Sean Patrick Small as Larry Bird. The only thing that I have to say is that Larry Bird gets about five minutes of screen time in the entire season, and every single one of them is awesome. Maybe it's because Bird is one of my favorite players ever, but I just love how the show displays his quiet and confident screw you attitude towards everyone. I mean, there's a crazy scene of Larry telling his defenders what movie he's going to make before he does it, and this actually happened in real life. I burst out laughing when this scene played out. By the way, apparently Bo Burnham was initially cast to play the part of Larry Bird, but he had to drop out of the project due to scheduling conflicts. This doesn't have anything to do with the show, but I find it pretty interesting. The last two characters that I want to talk about are Hadley Robinson as Jeannie Buss and the legendary Sally Field as Jesse Buss. Now, in a show that is mainly dominated by the male characters, these two women make their presence known. Jeannie Buss is the daughter of Jerry who wants to take after her old man and become a sports entrepreneur one day. I'm glad that the show includes a lot of storylines about Jeannie learning the business from her father because, in the real world, she would eventually become the majority owner of the Lakers. Robinson does a good job of evolving Jeannie from this innocent daughter type to the I'll trade a player because my brother's annoying me type. On the other hand, Sally Field delivers a very good performance as Jesse Buss this season. As the season goes along, we see the very close bond that Jerry and Jesse have, and I have to compliment John C. Riley and Field for making us care about them so much. Jesse's death towards the end of the season really hits hard because we just spent a whole season with her trying to combat her memory loss and be there for her family. My biggest complaint with Jesse, however, is the fact that her inclusion in the story is flat out historically inaccurate. You see, in the show, Jesse dies right before the 1980 NBA Finals begin, but in real life, Jesse died almost three whole years before that in 1977, two years before Jerry even bought the team. From a narrative perspective, I get it. We needed to make the audience sympathize with Jerry, but there may have been a better way to do that other than forcing a heartfelt relationship between mother and son. It seems kind of manipulative. That being said, season one is pretty good and is a great way to start the series. It's much slower paced compared to season two, and all of the characters seem fleshed out and developed. Geez, it's almost like these are real people and not just characters in a TV show. Anyways, the season ends in a satisfying way and leads up to the next season pretty well. On that note, let's get to Season 2. Season 2 is pretty good, but the very thought of it leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. I'll explain what I mean later. This season really emphasizes the importance of the Lakers-Celtics rivalry, and it includes more drama within the Laker organization. The one major problem that I have with this season is that the pacing is absolutely outrageous. Let me explain what I'm talking about. The entirety of the 1980 NBA season takes place over 10 episodes in Season 1. In contrast to this, the entirety of the 1981, 82, 83, and 84 NBA seasons are told over the span of seven episodes in season two. That is four whole years in seven episodes, which is rather ridiculous. As I did with season one, I'm going to quickly lay out everything that happens in this season, but I'm going to break it into two parts. I'm going to highlight episodes one through five to start out, and then I'm going to break down episodes six and seven. I'll explain why I'm doing this later, but here's what happens in episodes 1 through 5. Magic gets a girl pregnant and he meets his newborn son, Andre. The new NBA season starts and Magic gets injured. Westhead develops an inflated ego. Magic gets healthy and struggles to rejoin the team. The Lakers get eliminated in the first round of the 81 playoffs. Larry Bird has a flashback episode and leads the Celtics to the 81 NBA championship. Buss gives Magic a $25 million contract. 
Magic and Paul Westhead develop bad feelings towards each other. Magic demands a trade, Bus gets married, Westhead gets fired, Pat Riley takes his place, and Pat Riley and the Lakers win the 1982 NBA Championship. Now, for the most part, these five episodes are pretty good. As stated before, the drama within the Laker organization is bumped up to 11, and it seems like everyone is at each other's throats. I really loved how they portrayed the dynamic between Westhead, Riley, and Magic during these episodes. Westhead feels like he's on top of the world and can do no wrong. Magic is ticked off because his teammates don't respect him. And Riley is the guy in the middle trying to hold the team together. I love the scene at the end of the fourth episode where Magic and Westhead get into a heated argument and Magic tells the media that he wants to be traded. This was the breaking point for the current state of the Laker organization and it forced Jerry Buss to choose between his star player and the coach that won them the championship. And as history has shown, Buss ended up choosing Magic. But without a doubt, the best scene of season two and possibly the best scene of the entire show is the cigarette-fueled locker room speech by Pat Riley in episode five. At this point in the season, the Lakers are down in the dumps and the players act as though they can walk all over Riley. But this speech changes the course of the Laker organization for the rest of time. Riley calls out all the players and tells them that they want to win, they gotta do it together. The speech is capped off with the line, no more of this Riles it's coach. Adrian Brody did a fantastic job in this scene, and his performance in this season really cemented Riley as my favorite character from this show. This scene displays exactly how I would expect the hard-nosed, bare-knuckle brawler to act in real life, and it was a joy to see on screen. And on top of all of this, this speech propelled the Lakers to win the 1982 NBA championship. The show was riding high after this episode, but that all came to an end once episode 6 premiered. Yeah. Let's get to episode 6 and 7. So episode 6 begins with the Lakers celebrating their victory over the 76ers in the 1982 NBA Finals. At this point, everyone knew that season 2 was only going to have 7 episodes, so I figured the last 2 episodes of the season would focus on the 1983 NBA season. I mean, it only took 2 episodes to tell the entirety of the 81 NBA season, so I thought the same thing could happen here. And then season 3 could tell the entirety of the 1984 NBA season, capping off with the Lakers facing the Celtics in the Finals. It would have been great, but I was very, very wrong. After the Lakers finish up celebrating the 1982 NBA championship, the story jumps a year into the future to the 1983 NBA Finals. I can't really put into words how baffled I was at this decision. For everyone out there who isn't a basketball history buff like I am, the 1983 NBA season is a very important season in the history of the Lakers and the history of the league. For starters, the 83 season was the rookie season for future Hall of Famer and Laker legend James Worthy. I was really looking forward to getting some good character development from him, but I'm pretty sure he only had like two lines in the entire show. And his presence on the team was explained in a 20 second cutaway. Horrible decision right there. Secondly, the Bus family has a lot of unresolved issues at the end of episode 5, and the show jumps a year in advance and pretends like nothing has changed. You're telling me that in 365 days, these big family issues stayed completely the same? None of their relationships got better, none of them got worse, and they all just stayed constant over the course of the year? I'm not buying it. Thirdly, the NBA struck a new TV deal in 1983 and began pushing the Celtics-Lakers rivalry like never before. It would have been nice to see this on screen and how the rivalry progressed over time, but no, I guess not. And lastly, the 1983 NBA Championship is one of two NBA championships in the 80s in which neither the Celtics or the Lakers won. 
The season ended with the 76ers sweeping the Lakers in the finals, and you're telling me you just want to gloss over that story? No, no, no. The drastic time skip threw off the pacing for the entire season and completely took me out of the story, altogether. And you know what? I know exactly why the writers did it. You see, despite being a popular show amongst critics, Winning Time failed to capture a large audience that HBO was hoping for. Season 1 had horrible ratings given the large budget, and the highest amount of viewership that they had was a little over 500,000 viewers. For reference, the football drama series Friday Night Lights never dropped below 3 million viewers during its five-season run. Even by sports drama series standards, Winning Time was a flop amongst audiences. However, that may be an unfair comparison. Friday Night Lights was a cable drama show and was rated TV-14, whereas Winning Time is an HBO series and is rated TVMA. But nonetheless, there's no escaping the fact that Winning Time was a failure when it came to ratings. HBO knew that they needed to make some changes in order to boost viewers for Season 2, so obviously they allocated more money to the marketing budget and gave their writers plenty of free will to craft an engaging story. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't get through that sentence without laughing. They did not do that. Instead of throwing more money at this show, HBO told the writers to make the rivalry between the Celtics and the Lakers more prevalent in Season 2. Now, if this were a fictional show, they could just make the Lakers and the Celtics play against each other in the 1981 NBA Finals. But in real life, the two teams didn't end up facing each other until 1984. So instead of delicately telling the story of the 1981, 82, and 83 NBA seasons, the writers decided to skip over a bunch of important plot points and just show the Lakers playing against the Celtics. This is not a good way to tell stories, especially stories that are based on true events. The Lakers lose to the 76ers in the 83 finals, and immediately after that, we have another time jump to the beginning of the 84 season. Once again, the pacing in these last two seasons is just atrocious. The rest of Episode 6 details the entire 84 season up until the Lakers and the Celtics face off in the finals. And Episode 7 details the events of the 84 finals. Now, again, this is the basketball nerd in me talking, but the 84 NBA Finals is one of, if not the most important championships in the history of sports. The rivalry, the drama, the racial tension, East Coast versus West Coast, Working Class versus Life of Luxury, Boston versus LA, seven game series. It had all of the ingredients for the greatest matchup in sports. So I am very disappointed in the fact that this legendary championship series only had one 50 minute episode to be told. This final series had so many ups and downs and it was filled with so many different personalities that it could have filled up an entire season by itself. But instead, the final episode blows right through important plot points and important moments in the series, and the episode ends with the Celtics beating the Lakers and winning the NBA championship. This wasn't a shock to me, after all. This show is based on real events, and the Celtics really won the 84 finals against the Lakers. But what really shocked me were the two scenes that came immediately after the Lakers lost. The first scene is a scene of Jerry and Jeannie talking about the future of the Lake organization at the Forum. This scene also foreshadows the fact that Jeannie would eventually become the majority owner of the Laker franchise later in life. It was short, sweet, and served as a nice moment to end the season. But that was not the last scene of the season. The last scene of the season was a montage of the future events in the Laker organization. It was kind of like one of those montages where it says, this character went on to do this, and there's inspirational music playing in the background. 
In this montage, we learn the Lakers went on to win the 85, 87, and 88 NBA Finals. Kareem retired in 1989. Magic got diagnosed with AIDS and retired in 91. Jerry Buss passed away in 2013. And Jeannie Buss became the owner of the Lakers after her father's death. Obviously, after watching this, I was confused and went online to figure out what was going on. And to my horror, I discovered that HBO had canceled the series and that the finale of season two also doubled as a finale to the entire series. Putting it lightly, I was heartbroken. This series was so awesome and had the potential to be one of the greatest sports shows ever made. The performances were amazing, the direction was on point, the sets and the costumes were great, and the show just felt magical. But then, the magic ended right before my eyes. Judging by the viewership numbers, I was one of the few people that actually watched this show on a weekly basis, and I was so invested in how all the plot points would shake out. But in the very end, all of these plot points amounted to nothing. All of the relationships that we were invested in, all of the games we wanted to see, all of the historical events that were yet to be depicted, all of them went down the drain in the span of a two-minute montage. While I was watching it, all I could think was, this cannot be happening, not to this show! But, alas, it happened. One of my favorite shows in recent years had been canceled before the best parts of the story had even been told. When I think about this show, two words come to mind. Wasted potential. An all-star cast. Talented writers. Great directors. Reputable producers. One of the greatest dynasties in sports. And HBO threw all of it away. It's so disappointing. All I wanted was a good conclusion for this amazing story, but we didn't get it. At this point in the review, this is where I usually give a score out of 10 to express my feelings about the show overall, but I can't really give a score to this show because I love it and I hate it. I love the show for what it is, an amazing example of quality storytelling when adapting from real-life events. But I also hate this show for what it isn't. If this show continued for three more seasons and managed to tell the entire story, I would love it. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. As it stands, this show will always be incomplete. A series about the rise of the Laker dynasty that ended with them losing to the Celtics. It sounds like a bad joke. As I close this episode down, allow me to send a message to all the executives and higher-ups who control Hollywood. Don't let stories fall away just because you don't want to put in the legwork. In other words, do better. Also, Hulu, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Prime Video, and literally any other streaming service, please pick up this show so I can watch it again. Okay, bye! <laughs>